Well, uh, I guess we're on. <laughs> Good evening. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. I'm a little hot, bothered, and irritable. Yet again, the Ann Arbor police lie in court. What can you say? <laughs> They're incorrigible. Somebody needs to uh, form an organization to keep track of their movements. Anyway, uh, kind of a long, irritable week for me, uh, in addition to all my legal problems. They're fixing the street outside my house for the last week, and it's just been banging, hot, noisy, and just a total, totally bad situation. So I'm a little disorganized here as we get started. Um... And what was interesting, of course, last week was that Barack Obama gave about a 15-minute speech from the Oval Office. I was working that night, and I didn't uh, actually see it on television, so it's hard to evaluate a televised speech uh, when you hear 90% of it on the radio. But uh, the speech struck me as sort of announcement-oriented, and um, he seems to have taken a lot of critique criticism about it and I don't really know why because the next day he obviously uh, did get British Petroleum to put 20 billion dollars into an escrow account now it's ironic because the past week I've been reading a uh, rather uh, scholarly work on Yalta the uh, famous uh, conference of the big three leaders that took place in the Crimean Peninsula uh, between February 2nd and February 11th, back in 1945. And when the issue of reparations came up, um, Joe Stalin, Uncle Joe, was uh, fairly adamant that the USSR get a bulk of the, rep uh, of the reparations. And a ballpark figure was given as $20 billion. And he wanted half of that claiming that the uh, Soviet Union had suffered the most damages, and indeed they did. That's uh, scarcely arguable. Uh, authoritatively, um, the number of Russian troops that died in World War II were somewhere around 12 to 14 million. Uh, of course, the Soviets killed some of their own troops, uh, particularly POWs that were in uh, custody of uh, British and American POW camps who uh, and or German camps because many of the Soviet troops switched sides. Uh, the German uh, army, as it realized it was losing, was willing to incorporate Russian POWs who then put on German uniforms. And, of course, some of these were uh, in uh, areas in which the Nazis and the Soviet Union fought, like the Ukraine and Belarus and Poland. So I found it interesting that here's the Soviet Union suffering, I think according to APJ Taylor, 15 million houses destroyed, 22 million dead, millions of livestock slaughtered and expropriated by the Nazi uh, and collaborative armies that occurred in many of the Eastern European states. And without going into all the details of what I learned about Yalta, because I think this uh, book is... Uh, Fascinating, written by a uh, Russian expert uh, that teaches at Harvard. 
The $20 billion figure had a kind of an ironic ring to it, that here I am reading about the debate about reparations, and of course FDR wanted to soften the word reparations and call it compensation for damages. And uh, while we, uh, obviously the oil spill continues and the damages are accruing, it's interesting that uh, Kenneth Feinberg, who's, uh, who performed a task of uh, settlements from the 9-11 um, uh, event in which Congress appropriated money to compensate American victims of 9-11, uh, there are lo other lawsuits pending, but it will be fascinating to see how this money is dispersed and how long it goes on and, and uh, how, how, how the legal process works here. Because as we've pointed out on recent shows, and of course Jim Dwyer has just joined me in the studio, um, the people of Ecuador uh, have been involved in a 25-year battle with Chevron to get damages. Last week we talked about Bhopal, yep. in which uh, the estimated dead were 10 to 12,000, and the estimated injured and, and uh, maimed were, were, you know, in the hundreds of thousands. Um, so it's uh, interesting that the United States always seems to uh, come ahead or come out ahead of everyone else. And, of course, also the Nigerian Delta has had uh, dozens and dozens of oil spills. It's interesting that in court today, uh, somewhere in Louisiana, Bobby Jindal, who publicly has been exceedingly critical of Obama, is now uh, objecting to the six-month moratorium on deep water drilling. Now, apparently this affects 33 rigs. We're not talking about rigs that are actually pumping oil. We're talking about explorative mm. exploration rigs. And uh, this is an example of, you know, not knowing what, the, you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Well, it's also a testimony to the fact that the industry itself doesn't really, I mean, the whole thing is a fishing trip. It's a speculative gamble. These jobs are temporary. Uh, they may, in fact, not lead to any additional uh, recoverable pockets of oil, uh, in which case uh, it's all for nothing anyway. Now, of course, from the job standpoint, the temporary job's better than no job at all. But uh, it seems like another possible source of jobs would be to uh, perhaps designate substantial chunks of this uh, $20 billion of uh, mythic standing uh, to essentially begin the process of restoring America's wetlands. Uh, in the 1930s, the Army Corps of Engineers uh, raised the uh, Mississippi River levees, building concrete jetties for flood control. I'm reading now from a piece by Douglas uh, Brinkley, a, a professor of history at Rice University, who uh, continues to add that the net effect of these engineering boondoggles, built ostensibly to improve navigation and reduce the need for dredging, has been to destroy Louisiana's incredible wetlands. Already a landmass the size of Delaware has disappeared. The core, flooded, uh, the core flood control program has deprived the wetlands of their annual replenishing sediment. Uh, instead, hundreds of tons of sediment a year drift far out over the counter, uh, outer continental shelf of the Gulf of Mexico for nothing. Uh, now, as the oil pours in, the wetlands have no natural means of replenishment. They are becoming a toxic dump. There are plenty of jobs to be created. 
outside of offshore drilling. Yeah. And this seems to be where uh, Obama has uh, missed uh, an opportunity here uh, to sort of consider this. You know, it's one thing to say that, well, now we really need to get a national energy policy. Right. Again. Again. Uh, one of the Comedy Central news programs, uh, Daily Show or Colbert Report, showed clips of presidents all the way back to Nixon uh, mentioning this point. Of course, sure. nothing has happened. Well, uh, it's the same with the jobs. If Governor Jindal is upset about this temporary loss of temporary jobs, he should think uh, more constructively about constructive jobs. I'm sure there are roads, bridges, schools, and infrastructural elements uh, that if only the capital could be scared up for these, uh, there's plenty of jobs to be created in uh, addressing the wetlands problem or the roads problem. Yeah, and one of the ironies is, of course, as we continue um, to sort of lethargically move forward on uh, renewable clean energy, which is, you know, to Obama's credit, actually has been part of his uh, overall economic and energy policy agenda from the get-go, but movement is lethargic. Yeah, it's... Um, you know, in 150 years, half of Louisiana is not supposed to be there anyway. Right. So what we're cleaning up today may not exist tomorrow, uh, assuming that the oil uh, or the, the seas continue to rise the way they are. And it's interesting that you mentioned jobs be, be, because uh, a recent uh, article in the Sunday, June 6th edition of the New York Times uh, sort of week in review section uh, has a chart, 12 Imperfect Ways to Clean the Gulf. And they have all these various uh, projects that need to be done. And what's interesting about it is they show, you know, the option, and then they list the benefits as well as the challenges as well as the drawbacks. And under Manual Shore Cleanup, it says on moderately oiled, sandy, or pebbly shorelines, people use shovels, rakes, and gloved hands to pick up tarballs, oily patches, and debris. Benefits. No heavy equipment is needed. And unskilled workers can participate. Challenges. Workers must be trained to recognize oil and reduce the personal exposure. The collected oily debris must be disposed of. Drawback. The work is labor-intensive and time-consuming. That's not a drawback. <laughs> That's a positive. This is a good way to create temporary jobs in the region for unskilled people. Uh, and th these, this region, by the way, has per a particularly numerous number of unskilled people. Indeed. I don't need to enumerate the fact that Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama are clearly in the bottom ten in uh, high school graduation rates. Uh, college degree, that type, you know, skilled workers, and this is a perfectly good uh, use of of government temporary money, the, the, in which BP has already put money in escrow. Now mm -hmm. that phrase, money in escrow, is tricky because that usually sort of assumes ahead of time that there are lawsuits involved. Yeah. That the money is in a pile, but it's... You can't quite touch that pile yet. You might not be able to touch it yet. Uh, some other interesting uh, options regarding um, cleaning uh, 
the the oil spill, which is really at the heart of the problem. I think that you know the long term picture. If this doesn't motivate Congress to get going on a on an energy bill, a brain damage to them. Uh, th- this is, you know, the the United States needs to figure out whether it wants oil or fish yeah. or boating. You know, it, I mean, is the $60 billion uh, Louisiana oil and gas economy the same as the $60 billion tourism economy in Florida? Tourism, for instance, is a labor-intensive sector of the American economy. And the reason that I mentioned this manual cleanup is that the advantage of labor-intensive, time-consuming, quote, drawbacks, I view as a positive that's a good way to put people to work temporarily. And uh, sure, the work is going to be uh, arduous and uh, probably not a lot of fun. But uh, maybe it would uh, behoove Dick Cheney, seems to be a little uh, out of shape, to get down there and uh, do some cleaning. And I mentioned Dick Cheney uh, because apparently tonight on HBO, I don't get this channel, but uh, the um, creator of a documentary called Gasland is uh, going to be featured on this channel over the next couple of weeks. Somehow I brought in my wrong file because uh, I was all tied up in court today for a while. But the gist of Gasland, and it's uh, a documentary by a fellow by the, the name of, I believe, Josh Fox. He lived in uh, the area where there is a massive underground gas deposit, natural gas deposit. And this deposit basically goes from New York through Pennsylvania and half of Ohio and good chunks of uh, the Appalachian Mountains. It's and related, no doubt, in its formation to the coal pockets that yeah. are particularly rich in that region. And let's remember, by the way, for the record, that the first place that oil was discovered globally was in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. in 1959. A magical year. 1859, excuse me. Yes, 1859. Um, And the guy that found it went down something like 80 feet or something. (laughs) Those were what the oil drills used to be. Yeah. But anyway, um, this uh, uh, documentary focuses on the issue of natural gas production. Once again, you hear politicians endlessly talk about ridding ourselves of foreign imported energy from unstable regions of the world, you know, leaving aside that most of our imports actually come from Canada, Mexico, and Venezuela. But in any event, uh, this fracting is where the uh, natural gas companies pump a unknown chemical down into the shale deposits and sort of blow up the rock. And they're able to sort of release natural gas in the in in the during the procedure. Well, it turns out that this fracting um, procedure was approved in 2005 by the Bush Cheney administration with the cooperation of the Republican Congress. Uh, they were in control of Congress in 2005, and this thing violates the Clean Water Act completely because people are now complaining that their water catches on fire that their water, their drinking water, is polluted. And this carnage apparently has been going on in this part of uh, America now for uh, quite some time with no environmental standards, no recognition of the costs and side effects, so to speak, of these sorts of myopic energy policies. 
this fracting thing came out of the Cheney Energy Task Force. Yeehaw. Can't wait for those secret memos. Yeah, mired in secrecy, uh, subterfuge, and outright deception. And uh, it sounds like this documentary is incredibly alarming. And it's interesting that Congress has scheduled hearings for July 8th to examine the uh, violations of the Clean Water Act. To make matters worse, and I, as I say, I brought in my wrong file, but to make matters worse, parts of the Supreme Court that made an outrageous ruling today regarding peaceful opposition to war as part of the you know, three justices decided that even peaceful opposition can be construed as collaborating with terrorism. It's unbelievable, but this is the country we live in. It's becoming 1984, worse than you think. Many Supreme Court justices uh, have recently undermined the clean water uh, drinking laws, claiming that the EPA doesn't have authority and that corporations can determine these things. It's absolutely incredible. And this anger that Obama, I think, peripheral, uh, you know, that's sort of bubbles to the surface, pardon the expression, (laughs) but uh, I think it's justified. There's an element of frustration because Obama is getting bombarded for anything and everything he says. It's either not enough or it's too much. We have a lawsuit in Louisiana today in which the the, um, oil industry and politicians in the region are actually challenging the temporary moratorium. This is before we know what happened, why we have this oil spill. So while Bobby Jindal is out in a, in a speedboat looking at the marshes, uh, I saw a picture of him with a, I don't know, it looked like a catfish net. <laughs> you know, one of those weird photo ops where he's, he's wearing the, the Wet, out, wetsuit or something. Yeah, the outdoorsman costume. Um, and like I said a couple of weeks ago, he looks like he's been sort of hanging in a closet from his toenails over the last six months. <laughs> that man needs uh, needs something. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but uh, this is very troubling. And, of course, you know, now there's going to be this backlash in the region against the, quote, job losses that are connected with the moratorium. And that's a lot of, you know, righteous anger, people who are concerned about the well-being of their families and their communities and so forth, uh, simply wanting a job. But that energy is oftentimes misdirected against the only avenue over through which we have any uh, chance to exert any uh, force, which is government itself. Uh, the government has to be uh, improved to be held more accountable to the people. Instead, we you just mentioned the Supreme Court essentially bending over backwards to cede all authority to corporations. Um, it's as though we now live in essentially uh, corporate fiefdoms, uh, kind of an interesting story on the other side of the world, not related to uh, oil at all, or so it would seem, but it's uh, auto workers in Honda component factories in southern China and all the labor unrest going on over there is uh, quite fascinating. Uh, We're told often enough about the 
rising Chinese economy and the rising power of the Chinese worker and the buying power and that they want the nice things that Western culture has enjoyed for so many years. Car purchases are mm -hmm. skyrocketing over there, perfumes and luxury items and so forth. The purchasing power of the average Chinese, by the way, was what Nixon saw in the opening to China. Cha-ching! He a saw, billion Cokes. Yeah, he saw... Well, he was a friend of Pepsi-Cola. Yeah, well, indeed. <laughs> Donald Kendall, but anyway... <laughs> Buying power is yes. what it's all about, but uh, there's this interesting uh, labor situation here that is in many ways the flip side of the coin for the uh, struggling uh, workers in Louisiana. Uh, striking workers, I'm reading from Tom Mitchell's article uh, of uh, June 15th, striking workers at a Honda components factory in southern China have learned the hard way that they are replaceable after the Japanese carmaker spelled a spelled out a take-it-or-leave-it pay settlement and wrapped up a recruiting drive. So, hmm, capitalism, how do you like me now? Uh, there's been a series of strikes uh, at separate uh, Chinese uh, uh, components plants. Um, and this, of course, is uh, troubling in a country where independent unions are banned. Uh, according to Honda executives, more than 80% of the lock factory's workforce accepted a, a 200 renminbi uh, raise per month. That amounts to a $29 raise a month. And that is a 20% uh, work uh, rise in earnings. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can see that earnings are quite small. Yes. If uh, 29 bucks is a 20% raise, uh, the workers had originally demanded a 70% raise. Uh, but uh, those who were holding out on signing this deal were warned that they would be, quote, dealt with according to relevant national laws and regulations and company policies. So apparently the People's uh, Republic of China is not a workers' republic. No. Ironically and enough. But again, this is the capitalist fiefdom uh, that the world has become. A outside Japanese corporation can sort of hold these jobs over the heads of people who are willing to line up to wait for, oh, well, the guys who didn't show up for work today are not going to be allowed to come back into work, so I'll wait in line for that crappy job because it's the only job available. Yeah, and that's an example of, of why labor unions were created here in the United States, and of course that policy that was being employed in China is identical to the policy that corporations in the South use under the, quote, so-called right-to-work laws. It's the same thing. Yeah, that's, a, of course, a grotesque euphemism. It's essentially yeah. an anti-labor union. Uh, anti-labor union, and of course, needless to say, we saw just uh, recently with the uh, auto bailout debate that the senators that we jokingly called uh, Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, I mean, Corker, Shelby, and McConnell, represent the interests of foreign auto workers that have plants based in Kentucky, uh, Tennessee and, Alab and Alabama. Mm -hmm. um, the connection is, is quite clear. Uh, and obviously, uh, China is uh, very relevant to the uh, world economy for all sorts of reasons. Uh, they are America's major creditor at this point, while we uh, uh, continue to uh, try and reincarnate the Roman and British empires squared <laughs> and seem to be unable to continue to pay for it in any proper fashion. Um, scary stuff. Uh, speaking of which, uh, scary stuff or related to this, uh, 
you know, this this sort of bifurcated aspects of energy policy and environmentalism. Uh, an article dated uh, the 4th of April, 2010, by David Halbfinger says, In a major victory for environmental advocates, New York State has ruled that the outmoded cooling technology at the Indian Point nuclear power plant kills so many Hudson River fish and consumes and contaminates so much water that it violates the Clean Water Act. This is the New York Supreme Court. So you know that this is going to the Supreme Court at Mm. some point. The decision is a blow to the plant's owners, the Entergy Corporation, which now faces the prospect of having to spend hundreds of millions of dollars and build uh, to build stadium-sized cooling towers or risk the Indian Point's two operating reactors, which supply, and get this, 30% of the electricity used by New York City and Westchester County and could be forced to shut down. So you have a ruling that's obviously based on science <laughs> um, and law uh, that, of course, has an impact that could affect uh, the grid and the energy supply for our most populous city here in the United States. 30% of probably 10 million, I'm rough, uh, roughly uh, using that uh, number as the population of New York City and Westchester County combined, is probably 3 million people. That's the trade-off. These are the big issues that need that America needs to confront. And it, uh, I don't know, it just continues to drag its feet. It's spending too much time pointing fingers and not looking at the future. And it needs to wake up. Well, and, you know, you can only say, well, we're running out of time for so much time. Yeah. And uh, we have been running out of time, uh, essentially, for the last uh, two decades, at the very least. And as far as running out of time is concerned, we've got about five minutes left in the program tonight. Oh, extra time, I see, perhaps. Uh, I thought I saw Morgan here, which usually means uh, a different start time on Yazoo City Calling. But uh, regardless... Um, I quickly mention that uh, a delightful time uh, uh, I had yesterday afternoon. Uh, Mars and I took the girls up to Dearborn for the Arab American Cultural Festival. Oh yeah, uh, caught mm-hmm. a just an, a stunning, exceptional live performance by Omar Suleiman, a Syrian uh, dubka singer, who uh, was appearing for the first time in uh, North anywhere in North America. Uh, it was pretty cool to see that. But it was also very interesting to stroll the uh, grounds of the uh, festivities there on Warren Avenue uh, in Dearborn. And also very interesting to see the FBI and CIA uh, recruitment booths amongst all of the other <laughs> artisans and pamphleteers uh-huh. and, and food and snacks and so forth. Right. And uh, the CIA particularly uh, has been hiring a lot of enthusiastic young marketers uh, who grew up on a lot of Saturday morning TV because it was the top secret tent. I didn't go in uh, because I didn't want to... uh, Didn't want to have your photograph taken. (laughs) Probably would have uh, triggered some sort of alarm, no doubt, if I'd uh, crossed the threshold there. But uh, they were giving... We have a liberal in our midst, a critic. Stickers. And, a skeptic. Uh, <laughs> inflatable swords oh, really? uh, for children uh, to have like an exciting, you know, 
toy to play with and think about being a spy in the future. And, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about it because clearly uh, language skills yeah. lie at the heart of America's failure to uh, gather accurate and reliable information about the parts of the world that are the most troubled. That was true in Vietnam. It's still true today. And so on the one hand, I, I totally sympathize with the... Uh, institutions need to recruit native speakers of those languages. Uh, but at the same time, of course, as longtime listeners of Gray Matters know, the troubled and, and to say troubled is putting it mildly, the disastrous uh, relationship that America has had with political developments in the Middle East for the last 50 years um, is, is depressing uh, to read about. And really, it's been very destructive to our uh, present political and economic situation. Yeah, and it, of course, at the end of the day, comes down to a lack of intelligence. In other words, the CIA being called an intelligence organization is uh, somewhat of an oxymoron. It's interesting that you mentioned that the singer Suleiman um, was Syrian. Mm. I'm willing to bet two years ago she could not... It's a she. she. he. Oh, it's a yeah. he, excuse me. Uh, a, a, uh, he could not get in to the United States. Uh, it's During it's, the Bush administration, yeah. that would probably have been true. In fact, uh, one of his musicians was not uh, allowed a visa because he, he was unmarried. And I was told by uh, one of the promoters of the show right. that uh, the State Department decided that he was a uh, presented potential, a potential yeah. uh, security risk in that he might try to stay. Sure. And, uh, yeah. Uh, because Syrians. the Obama administration, in a sort of quiet thing that happened a year ago, did actually normalize relations mm -hmm. with Syria, uh, something that the Bush administration was fairly adamant against. and then, It's they, really for theatrical purposes. Yeah. They never included Syria in the so-called axis of evil, but uh, they did consider Syria to be in the axis of good for nothings <laughs> but uh that's almost you know the fact that the cia and fbi would have recruit recruiting stance there <laughs> is um ironic indeed yep. and of course underscores the inability of the united states to fully understand the complex factionalism that exists in that entire region uh there was an interesting article on the front page of the new york times just this past week about a militant group in Afghanistan that uh, is uh, it's a Pakistani-based group that's attacking Indian targets mm -hmm. um, and has expanded operations in Afghanistan, inflicting casualties on Afghans and civilians alike. So this is like uh, Jonas uh, Savimbi's UNITA rebels yeah. who would attack... Uh, Namibian forces, uh, you know, in other places. Sure. So it's a, it's an example of the factionalism uh, that we know so little about and have inadequate intelligence about. By the way, the group and this uh, by an article by Alyssa Rubin, uh, who's done very good stuff over the years. I think her and Carlotta Gall are very underrated as uh, reporters on this region. The group that you may have heard of is is uh, Lashkar El Taiba. Yeah, Taiba. Um, there's been some vague um, references to them, and they're sort of connected to possible attacks also in India, including these. That uh, hotel bombing Bombay. was, was linked yeah, possibly no. to them, yeah. So it, it just underscores the complexity of uh, the problems generally in the region. Uh, we'd like to remind you that you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor uh, here in the student 
basement of the activities building here at the University of Michigan. I'd like to thank Andrew uh, once again for engineering. And I'll mention real quickly, as it looks like we're nearing the end of the program uh, officially here, that uh, tomorrow night at the Michigan Theater, I believe a 7 p.m. start time, the uh, classic film by Akira Kurosawa, Rashomon, uh, from 1957 or 58, I believe, maybe a little earlier than that. Uh, it's a classic film. The title of the film.